Welcome. I'm Warner Desgillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with John Clark on June 21, 2022. John is a jazz horn player and composer. He invented his unique horn with the same range as the French horn, which he called the hornet. He's released seven albums. We feature songs he's composed in the interview. I started the interview by asking John where he grew up and what was religious life like growing up. Although I was born in Brooklyn, I grew up near Rochester, New York. My family was mostly Catholic, so I was brought up through the Catholic Church. And around age 14, I became a lapsed Catholic. What were the circumstances that caused you to be a lapsed Catholic? Just looking around me, I didn't really think that the people around me in the church were practicing what they preached. I mean, I was just a kid. I didn't know any better, but it wasn't taking me in any kind of direction that I wanted. I felt like there was hypocrisy around me and it didn't, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel comfortable. And I just absented myself completely. And I just, at that point, I didn't pursue any other spiritual path either. I didn't, I feel like I didn't know any better until much later in life. What was your spiritual journey through your life that ultimately led you to the Baha'i faith? Later in life, I just became interested in yoga, really. It was yoga. I I started reading a lot of books on yoga and trying to learn some yoga, although where I lived then, I was in the military, and there was no opportunity for me to really practice. But some of the things that I was reading, like, autobiography of a yogi, and some other books that I don't even remember the names of, it all made a lot of sense to me. And it was leading me in the direction of meditation. And I was trying to figure out, oh, how can I learn to meditate? And the more I I studied and thought about these kind of things, I started to remember some of the teachings that I heard when I was growing up in the Catholic Church. And I felt like there was something about what people call God that was actually the truth. Although for years I hadn't really been quite sure about that. I didn't, I guess I, you would call me an agnostic, but more and more I began to feel that I was searching for something. I'd say two or three years passed by where I was living my life trying to, trying to establish some kind of a life as a musician and thinking about these spiritual things at the same time, when I first encountered some Baha'is, I had heard a little bit about the Baha'i faith. Actually, a good friend of mine when I was in the military came from Chicago, and he had been to the temple in Wilmette. And he once told me that he was very, very atheistic, very opposed to all kinds of religion. But he told me once that if he was going to have anything to do with any religion, it would be Baha'i. And that was the very first time I ever even heard the word or heard anything about Baha'i. So in the year 1972, I encountered some Baha'is at a 
where I was playing at a jazz performance, the people that I met, there was a group of them. For one thing, they were uh, mixed. Uh, they were diversified. They weren't all black or all white. And they were all not all the same age. They were so diverse that it attracted my attention. And I got to speak with them a little bit. Everything they told me seemed logical and made sense. And I thought, oh, elimination of prejudice. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. We need to do that. Elimination of war. Yeah, of course, we need to eliminate war. Equality of the sexes, universal education, etc. And the more I heard, the more I thought, yeah, that makes sense. So at that time, I lived in Boston, and I uh, went to the public library, took out a book called Baha'i World Faith, and started reading it cover to cover. And it felt like every time I turned a page and I saw something new, I said, oh, I believe this. I believe this. I believe every page was like something that I, I felt resonated and felt like the truth to me. That was really my introduction. And from then, it was just a, a pretty short time before I met some Baha'is around the area. And uh, I felt like this is it. This is, this is my path. What got you interested in yoga? I mean, what was the search there that made you look into yoga? Because you were, religion really wasn't even, I guess, on the radar? Or over the years, you started becoming more interested in some kind of spiritual something? That's or... correct. I mean, we're talking 1969, Woodstock, hippies, pot smoking, psychedelics, you know, new changes in music. And my experience with religion and church had not been, it wasn't that I hated it or I was an atheist, but I never had experienced anything that really inspired me or, or turned me on, as they used to say in the 60s. So yoga was almost kind of like an alternative thing. Oh, I'll be really challenging societal norms if I read about yoga. You know what I mean? It sounds very phony now, but that's kind of what took me in that direction, just being being alternative, being counterculture. Let's go back to your growing up years, and what was music life like growing up? My grandfather was a church organist and choir director. He started me on piano at age seven. I wasn't very good at practicing. He, he did the best he could, and and I did the best I could, but it didn't really go that far. But uh, around age nine, I believe, I took up the trumpet. I liked that because it was very, uh, I don't know, bold and heroic. And, you know, you could play loud and high. And so I did pretty well on the trumpet in school, elementary school, public school. And I did so well that after a year, they took away my trumpet and handed me a French horn. And I didn't know any better. I was just a dumb kid. I just, oh, wow, look at that. That's really complicated. It has more slides and it's bigger and it looks really difficult. Yeah, let me try this. So I did okay with that, but I never got really, really serious until much later. A few years later, I got interested in rock and roll, just listening to the radio, listening to AM radio. And I thought, wow, I want to learn the guitar. So bought myself a guitar, took a few lessons, and then I started self-teaching. I also took up the electric bass, 
And all through those teen years, I mostly played guitar and bass. But every once in a while, someone would ask me to play the horn or, or play the trumpet, and I would, okay, do that. It sounds very haphazard and just fumbling, which it really was. But an interesting note, actually, is my very first professional gig that I ever did was on trumpet. And the reason I was hired is that these other kids had a band. They were doing cover tunes of pop, you know, Bill Haley and the Comets and Chuck Berry and stuff like that. But none of them really could improvise. All they could do was copy what they heard on the radio. But for some reason, I had this innate urge to improvise. And they said, oh, let's get Clark. He can improvise. So they would play a song and they'd say, okay, now play a really long solo that would fill out their set because maybe they didn't have enough songs. So anyway, I look back at that fondly as my intro to improv. Anyway, later on, I think still in high school, I started to listen to jazz and I didn't really understand. I didn't really get it, but I thought, oh, oh yeah, this is it. I had started learning I was mainly playing jazz on the guitar because that seemed like a logical thing to do. But then the French horn kept popping up. People kept asking me, oh, can you play French horn on this or that, you know, an orchestra thing or, you know, usually with some kind of classical music. But then at some point I thought, oh, wonder if I could play jazz on this instrument. So I started messing around, just fumbling, just trying and every once in a while, I would do something or, or do a little performance. But when I got really serious was in 1966, I almost got drafted into the Army. I was very, very close. I, w- I had my date for my physical and everything. I would have gone to Vietnam, and who knows if I would have survived or not. Lots of guys didn't survive. But really, to this day, I believe it was the hand of God a friend of mine called me. It was someone that I didn't normally see, and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he called me up out of the blue, and he said, John, you're probably not interested in this at all. I, I don't even know why I'm telling you, but I just heard that they have an opening for a French horn player in the U.S. Coast Guard band. So I let that sink in for a second, and I thought, hmm, Vietnam, Coast Guard band, Vietnam, Coast Guard band. I think I'll go audition. (laughs) And so I did, and I got accepted, and I was in the U.S. Coast Guard band for four years. So that's when I got really, really serious about playing the horn, because I had to play it pretty much every day. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to play this, I'm going to really dig into it. I'm going to start really practicing and learning what it's all about. I also had around that time, gotten married and started my family. So it made sense for me to try the classical path because I didn't see any way that I was really going to make a living as a jazz French horn player. But I wanted to play the French horn and I wanted to play jazz. So I really tried to force myself for quite a while to do the orchestral chamber music, classical music thing. And I actually do. I still play classical music sometimes just because if someone asks me or if it pays a lot of money or something like that. So I pursued that path and 
Well, after the Coast Guard, I went to school at the New England Conservatory in Boston. And lucky for me, I was exposed to a lot of alternative music, jazz and new music and, well, just everything besides just classical music. But I was still trying to force myself to fit into that mold of a classical horn player. And when I started to actually get some work around town, dressing up in a tuxedo and tails and playing Beethoven and playing all that stuff, it just felt really wrong to me, to me personally. I just felt like I'm, I don't belong here. I, I really don't belong here. So at a certain point, I kind of just dropped out. I quit a couple of groups that I was playing with, and I said, I'm not just not going to do this anymore. And for, it was a crazy thing to do having a, a family with little kids and not having very much work to begin with. I got a teaching job at a prison or a couple of different prisons. I would teach music and I used to do accompaniment for dance classes and play whatever gigs I could get that didn't require me to wear a suit or read music. And after a while, I've started getting some gigs playing jazz. And I thought, okay, this is it. I feel comfortable. This is my path. This is what I'm going to do. And so then, having established that, I could accept a classical gig every once in a while just as a freelancer, just to help pay the bills. I had so many lucky breaks. It's really unbelievable. At a certain point, I decided to move to New York because although I was playing jazz around Boston, it didn't feel like it was going to quite take me as far as I wanted to go musically or professionally uh, work-wise. So I decided to move to New York. And while I was still looking for an apartment and staying with a friend there, I had a call from Gil Evans, who uh, was someone that I had looked up to and, and respected and admired for a really long time. And to tell you the truth, when he called... And I didn't even have my own phone. I don't know how he found where I was staying, but he called and said he wanted me to play with the band. And I said, no, no, this can't be Gil Evans. Who is this? Who's playing a joke on me here? Who is this, really? This is Gil Evans, and we'd like you to play with us next Monday at the Vanguard. That was an unbelievably lucky break. And I played with Gil for many, many years. I had a lot of lucky breaks after that. I, I was able to still do some classical stuff in New York, the studio work started to happen slowly. I got to play with some really great jazz greats. McCoy Tyner, big band for quite a few years. Carla Blay band. Yeah, it's been a really, really interesting time. Actually, I still have one semi-high profile. I still play with the Mingus Orchestra in New York. Not the Mingus big band. Lots of people mix them up because the big band actually is more in the public eye. They play more, they perform more, and they tour and they record more. But the orchestra is a 10-piece band that has French horn, bassoon, bass clarinet, and guitar instead of piano. We play a lot of the same music that the big band plays, but just a smaller thing. John, tell me about the hornet that you invented. Being an ex-trumpet player, I still felt an affinity to that shape of instrument where the bell faces out in front of you instead of backwards, like the French horn. For a long time, there's been a thing called a mellophone, 
and there's been marching French horns that they make really only for marching, marching bands and stuff. But this instrument has piston valves, which is different from the French horn, which has rotary valves. I have a prototype that just was made from scrap parts, things that I found in a pawn shop and parts of old French horns and stuff. The repairman who made it for me did a really good job, but it, because it's just prototype, it doesn't really play all that well, so I don't use it too much. However, the French horn maker whose instrument I play now, Jim Patterson in New Mexico, I've been asking him for a long time, and he's now really very close to coming out with a version of the hornet that I think is going to really work. I think a lot of French horn players are going to want to use it to play jazz because one of the big problems with playing a French horn in jazz is being heard. Your hand is in the bell, the bell is facing behind you, and if you're not amplified, you can't really compete with trumpets, trombones, and saxes. So an instrument like this puts you more on a level playing field sonically. I hope it comes to fruition that you actually get to really play a uh, nicely built hornet. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Me too. John, I had asked you to select six pieces to feature on the interview. Mm-hmm. And the first one is called I Will, which I guess is the title track from your album, I Will, mm-hmm. that you released in 1997. Mm-hmm. Can you describe this piece for us? I sometimes use Baha'i prayers to help me find a melody. Finding a melody to me is the hardest thing in composition. This is a prayer that is a favorite of many, many Baha'is. Oh God, refresh and gladden my spirit. Purify my heart. Illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. Thou art my guide and my refuge. O God, I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will be a happy and joyful being. I will no longer be full of anxiety, nor will I let trouble harass me. I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. O God, thou art more friend to me than I am to myself. I dedicate myself to thee, O Lord. And this is from Abdu'l-Bahá. And Abdu'l-Bahá is who? is the son of Baha'u'llah, who is the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. And so you were talking about how you say a prayer to help you with your composition? I look at the words, and I think of the words, and I think of the feeling of the prayer, and I let the words dictate the melody to me. It's kind of a cop-out, really. (laughs) I feel guilty for doing it. But... Sometimes you feel like you have to write something as a composer. You just feel like you have to come up with something. And you can't come up with a melody that that resonates, that makes sense, that feels right. But I've used these prayers several times to come up with a melody. And a couple times I feel like it's really worked. In this case, I'm happy with it. And I wrote different arrangements. I have an arrangement of that song, I Will for a 10-piece band, which is on that 1997 recording. I also arranged it for woodwind quintet, for four French horns, and I even, I submitted it to a few singers, and it's it's singable. I can actually sing it myself. I just, I don't, 
I don't like my own voice enough to really sing it for you. <laughs> or I mean, in private, I will sing it myself.
We're listening to music composed by John Clark, a jazz horn player and composer who invented his unique horn with the same range as the French horn called the hornet. We had just listened to his piece, I Will, inspired by a Baha'i prayer. Did I send you Freedom's Delight as well? I'll say this other prayer uh, from the Bob, because I, I used it to write a melody that I then arranged for wind quintet and again for horn, flute, and rhythm section. It's very, very difficult to sing. I don't know if anyone could ever sing this. The title of the, what I wrote is Freedom's Delight. And the prayer is, O Lord, unto thee I repair for refuge, and toward all thy signs I set my heart. O Lord, whether traveling or at home, and in my occupation or in my work, I place my whole trust in thee. Grant me then thy sufficing help, so as to make me independent of all things. O thou who art unsurpassed in thy mercy. Bestow upon me my portion, O Lord, as thou pleasest, and cause me to be satisfied with whatsoever thou hast ordained for me. Thine is the absolute authority to command. The Bab. And the Bab, which means the gate in Persian, was the uh, herald or the, the equivalent of John the Baptist to Jesus. The Bab was the precursor to Baha'u'llah's announcing his message.
I'm speaking with John Clark, jazz horn player and composer. He invented his unique horn with the same range as the French horn, called the hornet. And the next piece, John, is called Song of Light. So tell us about this piece. Oh, sure. That's a very early composition. It's one of the very first things that I ever wrote. I like it a lot. Unfortunately, I'd, I think it would be almost impossible to sing. And this is another one of these ones that I use the writings of Baha'u'llah to find the melody. And this is from the hidden words of Baha'u'llah. And this one is number 33 from the Arabic. O son of spirit, with the joyful tidings of light, I hail thee. Rejoice. To the court of holiness, I summon thee. Abide therein that thou mayest live in peace forevermore.
to the music of John Clark, a jazz horn player and composer. He invented his unique horn with the same range as the French horn called the Hornet, and he's released seven albums, and we're listening to pieces that he selected for featuring on the interview. Now we have two pieces, I guess they're both short pieces. Do you call them BRG1 and BRG2 or what? <laughs> yeah, I'll explain about that. So BRG number one and two is really fun and interesting. Maybe 10 years ago, I organized an improv workshop for horn players. Believe it or not, there are many, many French horn players who want to improvise and feel like they don't have any outlet. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. What can I do? So I got together with a colleague who is more of classical orientation, but he's very interested in helping people open up to improv. Jeffrey Agrell is his name, and he just recently retired from the University of Iowa. So we did this workshop, and it turned out to be really, really fun and successful. We did it two summers, and the second summer, we did it in the town where I live most of the time now, in Heath, Massachusetts. I don't know how I got this idea, but I decided to write some pieces of music that would be accompanied by farm machinery. (laughs) Okay? So BRG stands for Ballad of Red and Green. So the red would be for an international tractor, and the green would be for a John Deere tractor. One of those pieces has an international baler, hay baler, playing the part of the drums or the rhythm section, providing the rhythm. The other one has a pretty old John Deere. The older John Deeres are two cylinders, and they, they make a very unique sound, especially if you idle them very slowly. I owned it before, but then I didn't have it when we did this music, so I had to borrow one. You'll hear it, katoom, 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 is kind of what it sounds like when it's idling. It's sort of the rhythm section. Exactly. And, you know, those are on YouTube, I believe. All right, so we'll play both of those, BRG1 and BRG3. Thank you. 
I'm speaking with John Clark, and we've been listening to music that he's composed. He's a jazz horn player and composer. He invented his unique horn with the same range as the French horn called the Hornet, and he released seven albums, and we're listening to music that he's composed. And We just played two short pieces, BRG1 and BRG3, with the farm machinery as the rhythm section to the piece. So, John, where can people find your music? If they don't want to pay for it, they can probably just get it on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And if they want to pay for it, they can go to my website, which is hmmusic.com. You can buy the CDs, individual songs downloaded, too. A lot of it is on Spotify and Pandora. What's the significance of HM Music in your website title? In the book Gleanings from the Writings of Baha'u'llah, there is a place where he says, immerse yourself in the ocean of my words that ye may discover the hidden meanings therein. And when I read that a long, 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 long time ago, it jumped out at me and I went, ah, that's the name for my music company. So it's hidden meaning music, hmmusic.com. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for taking this time to tell us your story and for sharing your music with us. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. It's been wonderful. I hope you enjoyed that interview with John Clark, jazz horn player and composer. You can find his music at hmmusic.com. We're going to close out the show with a piece composed by John called The Abha Kingdom. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. You can find the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org, or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Now here is John's composition called The Abha Kingdom. (laughs) 